Parents of high schoolers navigating the college admissions process like to observe that there's no way they'd get into their alma maters if they were applying today. But is that really the case? Is the conventional wisdom correct that it's harder to be accepted into highly selective colleges than it was a generation ago? Or is this a collective case of false modesty? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next. My guest today is Michael Petrilli, president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute and one of our executive editors. Along with Pedro Enamorado, also of Fordham, Mike's the author of the new article, Yes, It Really Is Harder to Get Into Highly Selective Colleges Today, which you can find on our website at educationnext.org. Mike, welcome back to the EdNext podcast. Great to be on the show, Marty. So I wanna start off by acknowledging that we're recording this in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. And each of the past three weeks, we've had episodes digging into the implications of that pandemic for education. I hope that later in our conversation, we can get an update on how homeschooling is going in the Petrilli household. But I also wanted to make sure that we didn't miss a chance to talk about a piece that some readers may have missed since it came out right as the pandemic was breaking. What led you and Pedro to look into the admission standards at elite schools? Well, thank you, Marty. And I appreciate you bringing some attention to this. You know, it is still timely, despite the pandemic, because of course, high school seniors right now are getting their acceptance or rejection letters, and they're going to have to make decisions. Uh, Of course, a very awkward moment for them, just like so many other people. Uh, But this is happening. Uh, you know, that, that is still happening. You know, this was something that, that just we were curious about. Uh, you know, as you say, this is now conventional wisdom that, that selective, the very most selective colleges seem so much harder to get into. You hear anecdotally of young people that seem to have these stellar academic records, you know, huge GPAs, tons of AP classes, high SAT scores, and they're still not getting in. Uh, to some of these uh, schools, and it makes you wonder what what is it that's going on. So this has just been one of these one of these issues I've been curious about for a while. There's been some research done on it. Carolyn Hawksby, about ten years ago, did an amazing study where she had somebody go down and track down a whole bunch of data from uh, over the decades uh, and and put together a data set. And what she basically found was that it, it is true that the very most selective colleges are more selective than before, but you know they're a tiny subset course of all universities in most cases that hasn't been the case and that in, in her view it was simply an issue of sorting that uh, people are more willing to travel now than they used to be you know the back in say the 70s uh, somebody who was the the brightest person at their high school the valedictorian would still likely go to a, a local or regional university whereas today they're more likely to travel to the Ivy League or to Stanford or the like uh, and then that's been a big issue. Uh, but uh, those data were a little bit old, uh, and uh, you know we wanted to keep digging in. And so when when we uh, looked into this, uh, we were uh, concluded after talking to some experts that you know looking at SAT scores adjusted, of course, for the different ways they've reweighted the scale, was not a perfect way, but but a decent way to try to look at sort of how hard is it to get in uh, today versus a generation ago. Uh, we were able to go. Uh, find an old college guide at the Library of Congress, and, and away we went. So you just anticipated to some degree my, my next question, which is that, you know, one option would have been to just look at admissions rates at highly selective colleges. My understanding is that they ticked up a bit this year, in part because of colleges' uncertainty about what the pandemic will do to yield, but the long-term trend right. is very much in the opposite direction. So, you know, That's one right. of the things you could have done is just 
report what's happened to admissions rates over time. Uh, but you decided that wasn't enough, that you had to look at something like SAT scores to provide a common benchmark. Why might admissions rates yeah. be misleading? Yeah, that, that's right. Because look, uh, we have seen a huge change in admissions rates because we see young people now applying to many more schools than they used to. Uh, the common app made that feasible. Uh, and so uh, that has changed quite a bit. And on the other side, universities now uh, have whole systems designed to try to figure out you know, uh, how many kids to say yes to with basic assumptions built in on how many are going to decide to come to their own institution. So, so there's some game playing going on on both sides. And, and what it means is, it's, it, I, you know, I think it's, most people would agree, it's pretty hard to use admissions rates uh, as a good standard. And especially, you know, we wanted to really see if we could compare across time, but also, uh, you know, one university to another. And so those admissions rates are uh, not so trustworthy. SAT scores, again, they're not perfect either, uh, especially now that some schools, uh, more schools have gone test optional. There's some evidence that that in the, ends up inflating their reported SAT scores because uh, the kids most likely to not submit their SAT scores probably had lower SAT scores. Uh, and there's other games that can be played as well. But, but they seem to be uh, you know, not as big a problem as the admissions rates. So you and Pedro went to the Library of Congress. You tracked down a Barron's profiles of American colleges from 1985, I believe, about a generation ago. And you sort of follow those same schools, taking into account the renorming of the SAT to compare their median SAT score, I guess it is, a generation mm -hmm. ago to now. What's the bottom line? Yeah, the b bottom line is uh, the conventional wisdom is right, uh, that the, these schools' SAT scores on the whole have gone up. Uh, quite significantly, uh, on average, across about 100 institutions that we looked at, which were among the, the top national universities and liberal arts uh, colleges that reported SAT scores in both years, uh, you saw a rise of about 100 points, which is quite a bit. And uh, I think we identified maybe 15 institutions where the rise was 150 points or higher. Uh, so, uh, you know, it really is the case that you were, you know, that, that the SAT score you got back in the 80s uh, might not be enough to get you into your alma mater today, uh, even after, again, adjusting for the renorming. And so what do you think explains it? Uh, you mentioned one possible factor already, which is the nationalization of the mm -hmm. elite college marketplace, uh, which leads people to actually seek out spots in these top schools that yep. might not have done so previously. What else is going on? Well, I think there's also the internationalization, right? Uh, we have many more uh, international students at these schools. <laughs> well, I would say today, although uh, today, uh, maybe not actually today, right, because of the pandemic, uh, but uh, in recent years, that has gone up quite a bit. Uh, and I, I think you also, uh, look, we, we have a country that is on the whole wealthier and better educated than it was back in the 80s. In other words, when you look at the parents, who might uh, aspire for their kids to go to these highly selective universities, know about them, have the resources to, to even apply or much less send them to these schools, uh, you know, that, that upper middle class, uh, which, you know, is, is for uh, a lot of reasons, uh, you know, better or for worse, the ones that tend to send their kids to these kinds of schools, that upper middle class is, is bigger than it was back in the 80s. Uh, you know, I think we've now, uh, see that something like a, a third of all uh, families are making six figures or more, you know, so 
uh, you know, you could call that on, on the positive side that our country is wealthier. We got more college educated parents out there than before. You would also on, on more negatively say it's income inequality. You know, you've got this growing gap and you do have this larger cohort of people that, uh, you know, are quite wealthy and well-educated and maybe they went to, uh, you know, pretty good schools and, uh, but they know a whole lot of people that went to the very, very best and now they aspire for that for their kids. I'd say the, Another factor is just the population growth that we've experienced over this time mm -hmm. period, right? The U.S. population is about 50% larger than it was a generation ago. Schools like Harvard, where I work, aren't admitted in 50% more students. Uh, so no, that's, that's going to create more intense right. competition for a limited number of seats. I've always been puzzled as to why we don't see selective schools uh, admitting more students. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's, that's very well said, Marty. Now, I think in some cases there has been some enrollment growth, but as you say, it's, it's nowhere near enough to keep up with the population as a whole. The other fascinating thing about the analysis is that to some degree it only makes sense because of the stability in which colleges are considered the most selective over time, right? You're comparing mm -hmm. colleges then to colleges now with the assumption that their relative rank is roughly the same. And mm -hmm. we all recognize that that does make sense given how stable the relative ranking of universities is, that type of approach wouldn't make any sense whatsoever if we were talking about the largest or most successful firms in the American economy, for example. So that's a really good point, Marty. I, I've had some uh, correspondence with a super smart analyst, I, I won't use his name, uh, but he pointed out that it may be true that a given institution is harder to get into or the SAT scores are higher now, but not necessarily if you look at high quality institutions or selective institutions as a whole, because there now may be more colleges that are selective. And, and that is very much true. You know, in the analysis, we try to show comparisons over time. It shows, for example, that uh, Tulane University now is just as hard to get into in terms of SAT scores as Duke was a generation ago. So, you know, a generation ago, Tulane may not have been considered a very prestigious school or highly selective school, at least in national rankings. It should be now. Uh, so it is true that the list is longer. And that's one of the real uh, reasons we wanted to do this was to show people, hey, if you don't get into Duke, but you do get into Tulane, you should still feel really good about yourself because it is hard to get into Tulane. And also, if you're an employer, uh, and let's say that you uh, use college selectivity as a shortcut to decide what kind of people you should hire, which you should not do that, but you'd think a lot of people do, right? Uh, management consulting firms and the like. Uh, then look, if, if they've been recruiting from Duke forever, they should also start recruiting from Tulane uh, because uh, the kids getting into Tulane have to be super smart uh, as well. So one of the implications you're drawing is that parents should have realistic expectations about the admissions process you say that also they should keep everything in perspective, that there are a lot of good schools out there. How are those mm -hmm. implications translating into how you at home are uh, handling education these days now that you're uh, in <laughs> control of what uh, the boys are doing? Yeah, well, uh, partially in control. So uh, like everybody else, we're home with the pandemic. Uh, you know, the first uh, really three weeks, uh, there wasn't a whole lot happening from Montgomery County Public Schools, where we live in uh, outside Washington, D.C. In fact, they were just completely closed for two weeks uh, under the teacher union contract rules. Uh, and then things started getting moving. And now today, uh, for the first time, uh, things are really happening. 
Uh, we're starting to get assignments for my middle school student, and it's been interesting. It's, it's a little more like a college model where they post the assignments, uh, they post some videos, kind of a flipped classroom approach for the kids to watch, and then the teachers have office hours on Zoom for them to reach out if they've got questions. Uh, elementary students, uh, somewhat the same, except they are doing a daily Zoom class for about a half an hour to kind of check in with everybody and do a little lesson uh, and then more independent work. Uh, so I give them a lot of credit. Look, I, I know we're lucky. I think there's still lots of districts around the country that you know, they haven't gone to this stage yet. So I was a little frustrated that it took them, uh, you know, that we had two weeks to wait, but, but now I'm happy that things are moving. It still does leave plenty of time for us to fill with our own version of uh, mommy school. And so, uh, you know, we're trying to think of various enriching things kids can do and that we can try to keep them off those screens, at least, you know, for watching YouTube and Fortnite. And maybe getting their SAT scores pointing in the right direction. Maybe getting their SAT scores pointing in the right direction, knowing that, uh, again, we're going to uh, feel very good about whatever excellent college they get to go to someday. My guest today has been Michael Petrilli, president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute and executive editor of Education Next. You can find his essay, Yes, It Really Is Harder to Get Into Highly Selective Colleges Today, online at educationnext.org. Mike, thanks for being part of the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Marty. You've been listening to the Ednext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.